Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're talking about American poet Gwendolyn Brooks, who in 1950 became the first black person to win a Pulitzer Prize following her second book, Annie Allen. It was a landmark moment in the history of black literature. Over the decades, Gwendolyn's poetry addressed love, loneliness, families, inequality, poverty, and war. Our guest is Nick Caldwell from the Morgan Library and Museum in New York. Nick's curated an exhibition called Gwendolyn Brooks, a poet's work in community, which runs at the Morgan until June 5th. Welcome, Nick. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, First question, the obvious one, what's on show in the Morgan's exhibition about, about Gwendolyn? Yes, so um, the exhibition is comprised of more than uh, 40 uh, items, including manuscripts, um, broadside poems, um, and first edition printed books. Um, and the material explore, explores um, Brooks's role as a not only a poet, but a teacher, a mentor, and a community leader. Um, Many people know about her work as a as a writer, um, but few people know her her deep legacy and connection to um, so many other artists that she affected. Smashing. So, uh, where where do the materials come from? It's quite a variety you've got there. Yes. Um. So the material comes from uh, the Morgan Library's uh, holding of Brooks material, which was already very strong um, because of our uh, Carter Burton collection of American literature. Um, but uh, this uh, material was significantly expanded. Um, with the accession of Brooks's personal library by the Morgan last year. Um, so the material in the accession included inscribed copies of many books signed to Brooks, um, and some of these are on view. Um, there are also some generous loans from the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, um, the Firestone Library in Princeton, and um, the Kravitz Wavy Gallery uh, in New York. Goodness, okay. So uh, let's ask about the two books, uh, her first two books. So they seem really important to to how people think of her today. So there was um, A Street in Bronzeville from 1945 and then Annie Allen in 1949. Do you have copies? Do you have first editions in the in the exhibition? Yes, um, we actually have um, both of these books. They're both represented um, by first edition uh, signed first editions, um, which are on, on show in the gallery. Um, and yeah, they're very iconic. Um, Annie Allen features this beautiful frontispiece that's a soft pencil portrait of the poet by her friend, Ernest Alexander, um, and that's also on show in the gallery. Um, so we get a look at the covers and we also get a look inside. What were your, what were your thoughts when you were handling those two books? Um, so not only are they like beautiful little books, but um, getting to look through them and knowing that they had so much history um, that Annie Allen was the Pulitzer Prize winner and then seeing the frontispiece, which is this like um, kind of soft and vulnerable portrait of the poet um, really speaks to um, that kind of vulnerable time in her early career um, where she was really um, making, making a go at being a working poet and um, had a lot of success um, in that moment. Right. So first editions of those books are really scarce um and and i i think that's not just gwendolyn and not just because she was a poet but i think it's similar with other african-american writers who are writing from that era do do you think that's right 
that I am um, correct. This is a correct assumption, rather. Um, yeah, I would say that that's correct. Um, not only in the 40s and 50s, but very much so in the 60s and 70s, um, when Brooks was also writing. Um, it was a hard time for Black authors to get published at all by mainstream publishing houses, um, especially if their work spoke out against the status quo of the time, which was um, a strong anti-Black racism and a lot of state violence against um, Black people. Um, it's a time of the civil rights movement, the Black power era. Um, so it, Black poets um, and writers had a hard time getting published in the first place. Um, and so uh, they kind of turned to creating their own publishing houses and own presses. Um, black writers like Dudley Randall and Haki Matabuti started Broadside Press and Third World Press, respectively. Um, and these presses didn't have the resources or funds to print um, a bunch of uh, copies. Um, they had like small runs of a few thousand books, you know, um, and that coupled with the fact that this material hasn't really been um, protected by institutions, um, not many institutions uh, actively collect for these publications, um, it makes it um, it makes these publications very scarce. Um, there weren't many of them to begin with, and um, they weren't protected over these years. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's a correct assumption, and we can, uh, going forward, try to reverse that assumption by really valuing these works. Indeed. It, it, it sort of makes Gwendolyn's Pulitzer win in 1950 even more incredible. Um, I'm wondering if if you got an insight to how that news was broken or received at the time or how newspapers covered that that announcement. Um yes, yeah, so I did I did um consult a few newspapers and doing my research for the show. Um and it was there was a lot of positivity um from um Brooks's Pulitzer wins, um especially from the the black owned newspapers and the black press like the Chicago Defender, um, which dedicated an entire spread to the accomplishment, like a huge um, iconic photo um, of Brooks. Um, and she had often in the past published in the Defender, so they really lent to her success and recognition. So I feel like a lot of these, um, a lot of these newspapers felt that um, Brooks's work was uh, important and good that it was getting the recognition that it deserved. And Chicago, so she she was from Chicago, so Bronzeville is a uh, a famous neighborhood. I think it's in South South Chicago, um, and Chicago was a big influence on her work. It sounds that, in some ways, she would like to sit on the porch or look out the window and see life going by, and that's what she would write about. Um, is there anything in the collection that shows Chicago's influence on her work? Well, yeah, I would say Chicago. Um, yeah, specifically the South Side neighborhood of Bronzeville was a huge influence, a huge influence on her work. Um, and like you said, there's this quote that I love from her that says, um, if you wanted a poem, you only had to look out of a window. There was material always walking or running, fighting or screaming or singing, um, which I think is just a great um, quote that speaks to what Brooks wanted to capture um, in her early work, like A Street in Bronzeville. Um, the sub, her subjects were like everyday people, um, the working woman, the the school children, you know, um, and uh, though there aren't any uh, images of Brooks herself um, in Chicago, um, in the exhibition there are uh, there is a digital image slideshow that um, works tries to take us to Bronzeville um, by showing um, shots and photographs of Bronzeville from the Robert Senstag archive, um, which is a 
a like rich treasure trove for seeing black life in Chicago throughout the years. Um, so it shows us the sites, places, and people that would have inspired Brooks um, as she looked out from her window. It shows us those those views, um, and uh, it's coupled with a select uh, a select group of Brooks's poetry that kind of I think um, shows how the poetry and the imagery of the city play off one another. When I was um, browsing through a, a, an anthology of her work, I, I since she was I, I knew that she was writing from quite a young age. Um, I was quite surprised how strident some of the early poems were. Like she wasn't holding back um, the poem about the the soldiers in the bar uh, fighting for America, but coming back and not having the same rights as their their white colleagues. Uh, it's it's pretty powerful stuff for a young writer. Um, I mean, do, do you agree? Is that Am I grasping that right when I was going through those poems? No, absolutely. Um, I feel like what really strikes me and struck the audience at the time was um, she brings attention to um, kind of uh, different perspectives that weren't paid attention to in mainstream of the like urban African-American experience, both the joys and the, the trials and tribulations. Um, and her poems just have a rich like empathy where you really connect um, to these people, um, the struggles with poverty, but also the joy of, for example, going to church or watching your children grow up. Um, and she she grapples with um, all of these emotions with a lot of care, and um, it's it's amazing what she does in her early early work for sure. So is it is it correct that she uh, basically tried to make a living as a as a writer as a poet? I, I think she also wrote one one novel as well, mm -hmm. but went on, as you mentioned at the start, to teach and mentor other people. Is that right? Yes. Um, so she was a working poet, but she also taught um, classes at universities. Um, and later in her career, she would um, start her own writing workshop where she would open up her living room to um, Black artists and writers, um, like younger artists um, who were trying to get there. Um, their career started in Chicago, and she would have a forum basically for, for Black writers, artists, um, even playwrights and dancers to come together and talk about their lives and experiences. Um, and she would mentor this group, and they would go on to become, um, in their own rights, very successful um, creatives. Um, so she, um, the, the community aspect was pretty important to her, I guess. Yeah, for sure. What object in the uh, exhibition do you think reveals the most about her? Um, I think uh, speaking to what we were talking about earlier about her being a, a teacher, um, not only did she uh, teach uh, poetry, but she was also a, a general supporter of children's creativity. Um, she would sponsor her own poetry competitions for elementary and middle schoolers um, using her own money and funds, um, the winning young poet would receive a prize and often a personalized note. Um, and the item in the exhibition I think reveals most is a particularly interesting note from the personal collection of Derek Kaufman, um, who won one of these competitions as a grade schooler. Um, along with a little encouraging letter, Brooke sent him a large print of her poem to Prisoners, um, which is a great poem, um, a very uh, empathetic and interesting poem that expresses solidarity with people facing incarceration. Um, so I think it was just really interesting to me um, that she sent this note to such a young person. Um, it showed that she trusted the capacity of children to deal with hard topics. Um, and she wanted to teach 
um, children the importance of paying attention to injustice and expressing difficult ideas um, through writing. Um, and I think that really reveals um, her generosity of spirit, her generosity with her work and with her funds. And I think that's something that I felt um, came up a lot in uh, this exhibition. It's just her sheer generosity. Right. So I, I, um, I picked up a children's book, a children's picture book called Exquisite, The Poetry and Life of Gwendolyn Brooks. Mm. Um, it's a beautiful little book. It's really quite inspiring. Um, and it sort of dwells on her early days a lot. Um, so I, I can only imagine that you, you must have found the project inspirational too. For sure. I felt um, not only is her work so inspirational, um, Brooks had her own children's books that she wrote, some of which are on view, and those are um, inspirational to read along with her poetry for older audiences. Um, but I'm also from um, the south side of Chicago, um, so her work has always been on my heart and in my mind. I grew up um, where she grew up, and so being able to read her poetry um, really makes me reflect on home and um, the history of, the deep history of um, Black Chicago, um, and the fact that her legacy impacted so many other artists from the area, and that these relationships were tied together by her powerful, um, her empathy, her use of language, her imagination. Um, yeah, I just, I really hope to honor all these aspects and characteristics in the exhibition. So it's actually a, like a personal project for you? It's, you've got a connection to some of the things she's writing about and seeing? For sure, for sure. And do they, does Chicago still remember her as a famous daughter? It, uh, Chicago does remember her, remember her well. Um, she, the ripple effects of her legacy are seen in um, many poets today, still writing in Chicago. Um, and for example, her house is a, um, a landmark, a historical landmark in the city that you can go see. Um, and um, there's so many things dedicated to her, parks, um, buildings, um, but mostly it's the, the interpersonal. Um, people who, who read poetry in Chicago really know about Gwendolyn Brooks's work um, because it speaks so much to the area. Brilliant, excellent. All right, all right, Nick, uh, my final question, which we ask to everybody, and that is what book or books are you currently reading? Um, so I um, just finished reading uh, the book, a book called Pet, um, which is a young adult novel by um, Akweki Amezi, um, which is a really, it was a really thrilling read. And funnily enough, uh, there are times throughout the novel where the characters quote a line from a Gwendolyn Brooks poem, um, Paul Robeson, um, and it's a great quote. Um, we are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. Um, and the fact that that quote came up in this um, book that was written a couple years ago um, and that Brooks's work is remembered and uh, still inspiring people just really spoke to me and made me enjoy the book even more. Um, yeah. Brilliant. And you enjoying it? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Lovely. Uh, all right. That's all we have time for today. Uh, I want to say a big thank you to Nick Coldwell from the Morgan Library and Museum. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. The exhibition, Gwendolyn Brooks, 
a poet's work in community runs until June the 5th, and it's a wonderful opportunity to learn more about this historic poet. Thanks for listening. My name's Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon.